Welcome, everyone, to Couch Potato Diary. A new week is here. It is the week we start our NFL fantasy football previews, so it is a very good week. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you all so much for downloading and for listening today. You can find me on social media. Those of you who are watching can see the uh, the, the little things below. Uh, I'm not changing that logo to an X. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and threads. I am at primetimeklein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the program today, we are looking at one of the more underrated players in the recent run for the National Hockey League, and he's retired now, uh, so that probably gave away who that was. We are also going to get into some talk about the Toronto Blue Jays as the frustrations continue. A very frustrating weekend for a Calgarian UFC fighter and a frustrating weekend for fans and maybe betters of that person as well, but not a lot of frustration around the local sports scene. So a lot to cover on the show today. Thank you all so much for downloading and for watching or for listening today. All right. Uh, So we begin with some hockey talk as David Krejci announces his retirement, the latest Boston Bruin to unsurprisingly retire from the National Hockey League. And uh, like this one, we kind of thought it was coming, but now it gives you a a real opportunity to, to look back at the career of David Krejci. And I think one of the things you take away from this is that this is one of the more underrated players of this era in the NHL. And I I think specifically of the Boston Bruins, he was someone who it it was just, he became so reliable that he became underrated. He was just, he was kind of part of the furniture, but in in the best way, right? Like I don't want to say, I was just, he was, he was there. He was a guy. Uh, No, he, he was someone who I think contributed greatly to the success of the Boston Bruins had and because of him they were able to kind of branch out and and expand with some of the additions of guys like a a Taylor Hall and and those sorts of players and so Krejci gave them a a reliable player um, who was really able to like you, you just you knew what you were getting from him, and coaches loved that sort of consistency from a player. And he consistently produced. He was consistently a, a very strong middle six player for the Bruins, who w- was able to, like I said, allow them to build around Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak. He was perfect in kind of that secondary role to help the Bruins do what they were able to do, and that had to be a, a dominant force over the last decade. So this is. Not the blow that Bergeron was, but a significant one nonetheless. Um, he, he just... He, he was someone who certainly is uh, a player that, like, every team would have wanted. And you, you look at it, I, I feel like if, if he were a flame, they'd be considering building a statue for him. Um, if he were a leaf, we'd never hear the end of him. You know, he, he was that type of a player, but he was on the Bruins. There were six guys ahead of him. He never wanted to, to go off and do his own thing, be his own star. He was perfectly fine just sitting there and doing what he needed to do. And now what the Bruins need to do is replace him or replace someone because this team just quite frankly is not good enough to to get to where the Boston Bruins are going to to suggest that they should be able to get to. Um, At number one center right now is Charlie Coyle uh, or Pavel Zaka. Depending on how you power rate those two guys, those are your number two center or your one and two centers for the Boston Bruins this season. Not good enough. Not close to good enough right now from a, a Bruins perspective in an East division or Eastern conference, sorry, that is absolutely 100% loaded right now. Like just let's just pull things up here a little bit. I'm not going to start listing teams off off the top of my head because I'm going to miss some and then I'm going to make get made fun of. And we always like to avoid that. So um, let's take a look. Yes, this was a dominant team a season ago, but looking at the Atlantic division as it sits right now, 
um, I would feel pretty comfortable putting Toronto ahead of, of Boston at this point, given the, the situation down the middle. I would say the same for Tampa Bay, and then you can make a pretty compelling pay, uh, case for the Florida Panthers. Now, the Metropolitan Division, I don't know how much resistance they're going to offer this season, but like their top three, I think, rather solidified with a, a Carolina, um, New York, New Jersey, or the Islanders scenario. So there's four teams right there. We have now listed seven teams that we think are either clearly ahead of the Boston Bruins or right there with the Bruins. We have not yet mentioned a very improved Pittsburgh Penguins team. We have not yet mentioned an improved Detroit Red Wings team. We have not yet mentioned an up-and-coming Buffalo Bruins, uh, Buffalo Bruins, wow, uh, Buffalo Sabres team. We have not yet mentioned an Ottawa Senators team who are on year three of, hey, this is going to be our year. Um, Washington might get better. I don't think they will, but they might. The East is extremely challenging, and all of those teams that we just mentioned feel, I probably would assume, better about their center position. Maybe not all, and there's probably a couple of exceptions, but most of them probably feel better about their center position than the Boston Bruins do. That's a problem for the Bruins. They need to go out and address this. They need to do something. They either need to go out and address this and start to build this thing up into being the, the team that they want to be, the, the record setter last year, and, and yada, yada, yada. Or do you make, is the time now to start tearing this thing down? I would imagine the Bruins are going to be very active in trying to address this problem. If they do not, they have a number of contracts that are expiring at the end of the season, and it could start a teardown in Boston. So while I, I do believe that this is a team that needs to address this, if they don't, they are positioned in a way that I think they would be able to start to tear this thing down and leading up to a potential Brad Marchand, who is an expiring contract after next season, this upcoming season. He has two years left on his contract, is what I'm trying to say. So I wonder if this is kind of the beginning of the end for this era of the Boston Bruins, and if the teardown doesn't start now, will it start eventually for the Bruins? But still, we look at this from a Calgary Flames perspective. That's the, the city that I am in right now. Um, you look at it from a Flames perspective, they are, I, I would say, a very active uh, suitor for an Elias Lindholm or for a Michael Backlund. Those are two names that would fit very well on the, more Lindholm than Backlund. This team, once once you get a number one center in there, you feel okay about Coyle or Zaka at 2-3. At that, then you're all right, right? Like, but So if you go Lindholm, Zaka, Coyle, you feel pretty good about yourself down the middle. Uh, Coyle, Zaka, Backlund, I, I think just kind of continues the problem. So Lindholm is probably the main focus. The issue... This team has $400,000 in salary cap space. They do not have their first three draft picks this year. They don't have a second round pick next year. And as just laid out for you, the fine listener and viewer, not really a team that you're feeling too hot about in the future. So if I'm the Flames, yeah, give me a 25, 26 first round pick for this kid. We'll take a DeBrusque off your hands to make the, the, the math work. Um, yeah, we'll take 25 and 26 just because, you know, we got to take salary back in this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at what could be a couple of very key assets if this doesn't work for the, the Bruins going forward. Um, I, that, that's, I, I think, a gamble that I would take from a Flames perspective. But overall, this isn't a team that's absolutely swimming in assets right now. They have admittedly whiffed on a number of drafts. They um, they thought they had something in Dubrusque. I don't think they do. They have now lost their number one center and a, a very reliable forward as well. It's a problem in Boston at this point. Um, and because of that, there aren't a whole lot of assets that they have 
to make a move to go out and address one of the most important positions on the ice. So one of the top teams in the NHL is facing a real dilemma, and I am going to be fascinated to see how it all works out. Moving to the world of Major League Baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays uh, dropped two of three this weekend to the Chicago Cubs after splitting a series with the Cleveland Guardians. And this is something that I need to remember, and I think we as Blue Jays fans need to remember. There are very few excellent teams in Major League Baseball this season, right? Like, the, the Orioles apparently are just one. Pitching, be damned. They're just going to hit the fuck out of the baseball, and they're going to be one of the top teams in the league, and we all just kind of have to accept it. Um, I think the Astros are still a very good team this year. And in the National League, there's the Braves and probably the Dodgers. After that, kind of feels like anyone can beat anyone, with the exceptions of the bad teams, which maybe you'd include Cleveland in there, which makes that, that series loss all the more frustrating. But they're the Kansas Cities, the Oaklands, the, the, those folk. Um, for the Blue Jays, the one that really stings is the Guardian series. Like, this Cubs series, they're battling for a playoff spot, too. You lose two out of three. Like, it, it's frustrating. You wish they wouldn't have. But that, that wasn't an outcome that was out of the realm of possibilities. Good thing they won on Sunday. Getting swept would have been really bad. But um, it's frustrating because you, you had an opportunity, it felt like, this week to keep putting teams behind you, right? Like, you kind of just finished off the Red Sox for good. The Yankees are finishing themselves off, basically, which is a really weird thing to say out loud. But you know what I mean. And the... Uh, the, the Mariners were sellers, but playing some pretty good baseball. Oh, and the Angels are falling apart uh, just everywhere, horrifically. So really all you have to worry about were the Mariners. And they're going to keep, they, they just kept winning and winning and winning. But it still felt like take a series against Cleveland, take a series against the Cubs and move on. And all of a sudden you've kind of put your woes behind you and maybe you can try to move up a little bit. Instead, the Orioles are so far ahead uh, of you that there's not even a point at this point. And now the Mariners, you won on Sunday and they lost thanks to the Orioles. So now they are a team that is a game and a half back. And all of a sudden you're sweating a little bit more. But if the Blue Jays were one of those excellent teams, they wouldn't be in this spot in the first place. They are going to be a team that wins some series against a very good teams and loses some series against some very good teams. And that's not the most hard-hitting analysis, but that's something you kind of have to understand. This is a team that is probably going to win somewhere between 90 and 95 baseball games, which is two-thirds of the league, it feels like, at this point. And so I I always preach not riding the roller coaster. At least the players shouldn't. I'm trying to not as well, because this was a frustrating one. This was quite a frustrating series for the Blue Jays uh, against the Cubs. And now you have a really interesting series coming up against the Phillies. If you just took these two teams and just combined how they are playing, then you would have one of the best teams in baseball because the Blue Jays are pitching phenomenally right now, and the Phillies are hitting everything. But the Phillies pitching, Blue Jays hitting, is downright atrocious at this point. And that's where you get into the frustration with the Blue Jays is that this offense wasn't supposed to be this. And I get Bo has been out, but the, the offense was supposed to be the hallmark. The pitching staff was the thing that we had all the questions about, and now it's not. Like, the, the pitching has been excellent for the Jays so far this season, and the hitting really hasn't been. So we'll see if that changes when Bo Bichette comes back because Paul DeYoung's OPS, which is on-base plus slugging, those two stats together don't even equal a good batting average. So they, they need a little bit more production out of that spot for sure. So we'll see if Bo Bichette is able to, to come in and help get this team right. But this is a, it's an interesting series coming up uh, against the Philadelphia Phillies. We will see what the Blue Jays have in store. Do we know the pitching matchups for this one yet? I would imagine we do. The game's tomorrow. Uh, it is Kikuchi against Wheeler. 
That's a coin toss, essentially. And then on Wednesday, it is Gosman against Nola. That one's probably advantage, Blue Jays. Uh, Nola hasn't been pitching very well. And then you go up against a Cincinnati Reds team that's plucky. It's a plucky Reds team that um, you, you should be able to beat. Like, the Blue Jays are better than the Reds. But that's a Reds team that's battling for their lives. So we will see if the, the same thing, uh, the same issues that popped up for the Blue Jays in these last couple of series pop up once again. Moving into the world of basketball, um, I am confused at James Harden's tactics for a while now. So, for those unaware, James Harden opted into his contract, but then said he wanted a trade. And the Philadelphia 76ers, I don't know if officially, but certainly through the media, were like, yeah, we're going to make that work for him. So, uh, James Harden has been on the trading block for a while now. But then, it came out a couple of days ago, ah, we're probably not going to tra trade James Harden. We're just going to... Give her the old college try. Get, you know, this whole getting past the second round thing is a little overrated. We're just going to roll it back with this team and and see what happens. And so James Harden then goes out and says at a place that uh, Daryl Morey is like toxic or a liar or whatever. And he never wants to be in another organization with that guy anyway, uh, ever again. So a couple of things uh, of note from this. Number one, this is very much a you have made your bed. Now you are lying in it. This era of guys signing big contracts and then immediately being like, yeah, I'm out of here, deuces. Um, my camera's way too zoomed in for me to be doing You know what I mean? Um, this whole era of players doing that, eventually it was going to stop working. And James Harden <laughs> locked himself into this issue. Locked himself into a player option. Could have just said no and gone any anywhere he wanted. But he wanted his money, and he wanted to get to the team. And for the, the Philadelphia 76ers, the incentive to do that is exactly zero. So good for James Harden for thinking he get away with that, and good for Daryl Morey for convincing him, like, oh, yeah, we'll try to trade you. They probably have. No one wants to give up anything for this guy right now. It is a gigantic contract. He is not what he once was, and even when he was what he was, you didn't necessarily want that dude on your team. I mean, he was really good, so a lot of teams would have taken him. But there were headaches and problems that came along with that. Now, he's not worth any of the headaches or any of the problems that have come up over the last little bit after he ate himself out of Brooklyn and made his way to the 76ers. And then there were the rumors that he wanted to, to go to the Philadelphia or to the, the Houston Rockets, and that was basically a done deal this offseason. He has just continually gotten what he wanted at every stretch. Uh, it didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter how much he ate. It didn't matter any of these things. He was always getting what he wanted. And now someone has finally pushed back and said, hey, how about no? And James Harden's like, but why though? It's kind of like, like honestly and genuinely, it seems like Cartman with Cartman's mom in South Park where like, it, Cartman will make the, the big scene about not getting the iPad, yell uh, all these things to the police about his mom's trying to fuck him, and then wonder, like, why he's getting punished and not even getting the Toshiba uh, tablet. This is that. This is J James Harden is, like, going out and just doing all of these crazy things and then wondering why he doesn't get what he wants. And finally, he's not getting exactly what he wants. He will probably eventually end up getting what he wants, and that will be the annoying thing. But for now, he's not getting what he wants, and I, I, I absolutely love that. The other part of this, no one, and I mean no one, 
was a bigger supporter of James Harden than Daryl Morey. If there was a James Harden fan club, Daryl Morey is the founder, the CEO, the president, the CFO, and all of the other abbreviations that you can come up with. Acronym? Abbreviation. Acronyms. Any of the other of those that you can come up with, he was that for James Harden. And now, James Harden's like, well, piss on you too. And Daryl Morey's like, okay, cool. Go find someone. Find anyone. And, and we'll try this. And just, it's it's a toxic situation. It's not the most toxic, but why on earth would anyone want to to be in the James Harden business right now? I, I genuinely, genuinely would love to know why you'd want to be spending uh, around $35, $40 million to have that player playing basketball for your team right now. I I couldn't, couldn't tell you. And the only guy in the league who was like, absolutely, we will build around this and we will make this work, James Harden just told to go fuck himself. So now Harden's in a pretty tough spot, and I, I really, really don't see a way out of this for him. Moving into the UFC, and the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship was live from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, as lifeless an arena as there is in the world of professional sports right now. In the co-main event, it was Hakeem Dawadu from Calgary taking on Cub Swanson, uh, but apparently Dawadu was also facing the judges, as this was, it's not robbery of the year type of stuff, but the wrong guy won, um, and I think that's very clear to, to anyone who was watching. Hell of a fight, and Cub Swanson did really well. Want to put both of those things out on the table right now. Cub Swanson, legend in the game. Love watching him fight. We'll watch him fight anytime he is fighting. Um, and he is very skilled and showed some of those skills thusly in the fight against Hakeem Dawadu. One of the things he didn't do in that fight, though, was fucking win it. Uh, but the judges said that he did. So that's really annoying. I The one that, to me, is inexcusable is that second round. Um, like, I, I understand... The thing that Cub did in the second and the third round was finish really strong. Um, in the the I, I might be getting my rounds mixed up. Mixed up. At one point, he took Dawudu's back. That might have been the third. Either way, he was getting controlled for about three and a half to four minutes. And Dawudu in the second round, especially, was starting to understand like it wasn't just one, two, three. It was one, two, three. Oh, four, five, six. Hey, seven's working too. Like. Cub was getting away from one and two and sometimes three. He was not getting away from four, five, six. And Dawudu was able to, to put those together really, really effectively. And that pressure was putting Cub on his back foot and really not allowing Swanson to initiate his game plan in the way that he would have wanted to. So th this was a, a really strong performance from Dawudu, an excellent adjustment from Dawudu, who only got better as the fight went on. Cub got the better of him in the first half of the first round. And I, I felt like Dawudu fought the more technically sound first round, but you could give the first round to Cub Swanson. I, I did. I, I thought that while Dawudu came on late, the more impactful shots were landed by Cub Swanson. And in the second round, Cub landed the most impactful punch. That left hook at the end of the, uh, uh, end of the round that did seem to kind of wobble Hakeem a little bit. Um, that punch, if you wanted to say that was the biggest punch of the round, fine. But the next 15 were landed by Hakeem. And I just, I don't see any way how one 10-second flurry offset four minutes and 50 seconds of excellent work from Hakeem. And two of the judges gave that second round to Dawadu, and, or to, to Swanson, sorry. And then in the third round, once again, Cub gets a late takedown. It was in the third round he took his back. Because for 13 minutes, these guys have been kickboxing and Hakeem's not in takedown defense mode. So Cub gets the takedown and has a bit of control with it. But still, 
didn't get to, I think, an overly controlling position, didn't get to an overly threatening position, and Hakeem Dawadu had success in the clinch. He was also, once again, having su some success at distance. I thought, to me, pretty clearly won that round. You can squint and give that third to Cub Swanson, and then maybe it's just, well, like, pride rules, Hakeem wins this fight, but on the judges' scorecards, first and third, you got to give it to Cub. But the, the fact that two judges gave the second to, to Swanson boggles the mind. So, really frustrating loss for Hakeem Dawadu, but certainly showed that he deserves to be right around where he has been. Like, he, I don't think he needs to drop down. I think he is still, even though he's lost two in a row, he is still, I would say, a fight away from being in the top 15 and then getting into the upper echelon at 145 pounds. Um, and for Cub Swanson, he'll probably get another fun fight, and it'll be a whole lot of fun. We are um, coming up to UFC 292. That is this weekend from Boston, Massachusetts. In the main event, Aljamain Sterling goes up against Sean O'Malley for the Bantamweight Championship. And I think the biggest storyline coming out of this, uh, going into this fight, is unfortunately Sean O'Malley. Um, as I say unfortunately for Aljamain Sterling. Uh, O'Malley is someone who hasn't said 100% of things that I've agreed with, but in the octagon, he is an extremely fun fighter. There, there is no question about it, and he's quite the personality, and he is going to fit in Boston for a number of reasons. Some of them you can probably guess, and I don't have to say. But for for the UFC, this is one of the stars that is actually, like, up-and-coming stars is, that has actually worked. And they've actually had a sneaky bad time with this as of late, where the, the young rising, this is the kid. This is the kid we're going to latch on to. Um, obviously, there, there was an era of Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt. Didn't go well for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. They're both making money elsewhere, not in the UFC, and not specifically for the UFC. Uh, Patty Pimblett does feel like he's kind of fizzled out a little bit, but this one's working. The Sean O'Malley is someone who has captivated a lot of audiences, and even though he doesn't have the belt, could make a very strong case that he's the A-side in this, just from a draw standpoint. And so, now he gets his opportunity at claiming that championship. And I think that's going to be very interesting to see how this fight goes. So, for me, the big storyline in this is Sean O'Malley gets his crack at a, at a title, and now a star that has been built up by the UFC is now actually potentially turning into a viable star for them. On the other side, Aljamain Sterling, it has been a controversial title run to say the list, uh, to say the least, with how he got it from Piotr Jan, um, and then he's he has beat some big names, but post-Apex those names, and it for whatever reason, he hasn't got the rub off of those that you would like to see from a champion. So hopefully now, coming into this one, if he is able to come away with a victory, then hopefully you are able to to look at uh, the UFC as having another star in Aljamain Sterling. So th this is a, an intriguing fight for me. It's going to be a fun fight, and I think it's going to be a pretty fun fight card. Um, but the, the main story is up top where it's all about trying to earn that respect, I guess, and become a, a real draw for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Also, I think it's intriguing on this card, Chris Weeman is back after their, uh, his horrific leg break against Uriah Hall. I think that's going to be... It's just going to be great to see him back in the octagon. Uh, that's going to do it for the show. Thank you all so much for downloading. Thank you all so much for listening. It is going to be a busy week here on Couch Potato Diary. Uh, you can have all the updates on the show on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and threads. I'm at PrimetimeKlein. Twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. We're going to be up there tomorrow, uh, so watch out for that. Coming up this week, we are starting our fantasy football 
uh, previews. And one thing I wanted to do this year, last year, I really enjoyed, like, what's the perfect draft? Um, like, what, what player in each round do I want to come away with? I thought that was a valuable exercise. This year, we're going to do that as well. We have a number of different things planned. I say we, it's me. Um, one thing I wanted to see was, okay, how does, like, where is the perfect spot to be picking this year? So we're going to test it out. Tomorrow, we're going to do a draw, uh, mock draft from the number one overall spot in the draft. Um, going to, to to run through it, give some analysis, give some thoughts. Uh, for those who are wondering, uh, credential-wise, I've hosted a, a fantasy football show for a couple of years, and I think we had a pretty good season last year with the analysis that we gave. Uh, so that uh, that is... It, and it, it, was, it was a fantasy football show on the radio out here. It wasn't just, like, me talking into my phone and putting it up for eight people. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that is what is coming up this week, and then uh, your regular power ranking show coming up on Wednesday for the CFL, plus some more UFC talk coming out of that one. And then Thursday will be a mock draft from the number two position before we get into Fights and Football Friday. Uh, we start our NFL season preview looking at each team's difference makers. And I will also plant my flag on a couple of my dudes. Uh, so we're going to get into that and then a mock draft from the third round. And then later on in the weekend, uh, hopefully able to do it live Saturday night. Hopefully we'll see. Uh, it is going to be a UFC 292 post show. So, a lot coming up this week. Thank you all so much for watching. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and I will talk to you all.